another day. Lord, as we, uh, as we are looking towards the end of camp here all too soon, Lord, help us to focus in on this time in this space, not what's waiting for us when we get home, not going back to work on Monday or whatever it might be. Lord, help us to just dial into your voice through Travis this morning and then through the, the other speakers through the rest of the day. Lord, we don't want to miss anything that you have for us today. Increase our capacity to know you and to be changed here today. Um, Lord, I w once again lift up Travis before you. Thank you so much for this um, faithful servant of yours that you've gifted to us for this week. I, I pray for him and his family as they, as they head back home today and just that they would um, be blessed and, um, and just have happy memories of their time here at Bayshore and know that they are loved and uh, that we're just so thankful for them. Um, so Lord, we just give you this time for your honor and glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Good morning, everybody. Happy Happy Friday. Man, y'all made it all the way to Friday. I don't know if that's like a, if we should cheer for that or not, but hey, happy Friday. Camp's not over yet. I'm just going to say that as a disclaimer. We still got some more time today. We've got this, this Bible study today. If you have more Bible studies today, my hope is that this has been a, a, a camp experience that has encouraged you, that has inspired you, that whether you've been in a Bible study or you've been out by the pool or you've went on hikes or you've been canoeing or you've done paintballing, or you've done the amazing race, or you've just hung out with your family, you got a little extra sleep, maybe you took a nap, whatever this week looked like for you, my hope and prayer is that this will be a week that you can use as a catapult into next week, into the start of fall, into the start of a new year, and that what happened here can be a catalyst for you spiritually as we continue to grow. Leaders are learners. We want to keep learning what it looks like to love Jesus and to follow Jesus. And so I am very grateful to be able to spend five whole days with you. And you guys get gold stars. I'm going to be swatting a lot. So if you see me moving hands, it's just because, you know, there's little flies coming for me. If you've been here for five days, amazing. If you are just here for the first day, amazing. It's great that we get to come together at 9 o'clock in the morning. You don't have to. You get to. And open up God's word and spend time looking at what Jesus has done and what he, where he went and what he said on repeat. By a show of hands, how many of y'all have been here at least one time in the Bible study? Man, this is amazing. I think most of y'all, there's a few that, I, that maybe didn't raise their hands. We have been on a journey, and it's been a special week. A journey of, of maybe for some discovering new principles, but I think for most of us it's just kind of refining and celebrating some of the principles that we know we've hold on to for so long. And so today we're going to be looking at some key principles that I believe are critical for us as we launch into a new week, a new season, a new fall as, as individuals and as couples. This is family camp. So the reality is this, you probably came with someone. My hope for you today and as you transition from Bayshore Camp into regular life, if I could say that, my, my prayer and encouragement is that some of these principles that we outlined, detailed, spoke about from God's word, the things that Jesus did and he said and he went on repeat, you can kind of let these things kind of marinate in your home. Marinate. You can let these things kind of sit in a place where you go back to and say, you remember when we, when we opened up God's word together and we looked at the statements that Jesus said, truly, truly, because he is truth. God's word is truth. And that we can hold on to those truths today. Maybe for some of us, it's going to be the, the principles of entering in, how God is a personal Savior. He wants to enter into places, into our lives, into our homes. 
Okay, for some, it's, it's God is the Savior and that he is the one that has been healing and saving in many places of our lives, and many people we love. And so today, today we're going to be looking at some statements that Jesus said. And he said these statements because he wanted it to be very, very clear of who he is, of who he is and who sent him. We're going to be in the book of John this morning, book of John, and we're going to be going through a couple passages. If we had an additional hour, I would connect each one of these statements with an Old Testament statement that created a prophecy of why Jesus said what he did say and how he said it. But for some of the points, I might just give you a reference back into the Old Testament so you can go back homework and and check it out at a later time. I'll be today talking about the seven I am statements that Jesus said in the book of John. Seven. I believe that these seven statements, they hold weight just because they're true. They're, they're, They're not true because of what Jesus said in that moment, but they're true because of who Jesus is ultimately. What he came to do and what was prophesied about him. We know that Jesus, who says that he is, because of the things that he did, the things that he said, and what God's word wrote about him as he came into existence, died on a cross, rose again, defeated death, the only undefeated one, the only perfect one. We can see these I am statements and hold on to them as truth. Not as just some good story or some good accounts. If we, if we only looked at the I am statements and didn't read the rest of the Bible, then it would be out of context. We're like, okay, these are just great statements this man said. But they hold truth, they hold fact, based on the things that Jesus said and he did on repeat. And what God's word said and prophesied on repeat about the coming Savior. And so we're going to be looking at a bunch of I am statements today. And again, my hope is this, that this time together today, will increase our trust in Jesus based on who he says he is. This is a lesson on increasing our trust, increasing our commitment, increasing our understanding of who Jesus says that he is. If I went around the room and I, and I took the microphone, I just said, hey, complete this sentence for you. I am, what would you say? I am a farmer. I am a teacher. Come on, just say it. Who, who? I'm saved, okay? I'm a mom. I am retired. Come on, say it. Yeah. I am a grandpa. What do you guys think? How about professions? What do you what do you some of y'all do? Okay. I am an executive assistant, okay? I'm a teacher, I'm a nurse, I'm a physical therapist. I'm what, what was that? I missed the joke. I am over the hill. Yeah. That's funny. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's funny. That's good. I feel like if someone asked me, hey, Travis, you know, complete the sentence, I am. I'd say I'm a dad. I'm a pastor. I'm a, I, I, I am, I'm, I'm a son. Did Jesus say A or did he say V? What do you say? I am V. That's a powerful statement, y'all. Could you imagine? Just take it back. Let's rewind for a second. Rewind. I am the grandpa. I am the nurse. I am, I am the mother, right? I'd be like, this is interesting. This is getting interesting. Just think about that for a second. Jesus is speaking specific. He's not saying that I am a bread of life. He's not saying that I am fill in the blank. I am 
a good shepherd. He's not saying, I am a way. He's not saying, I am a vine. He's not saying, I, I am a light. He's saying, I am the. How do you think that shook people up big time? Why? It's because the people that were listening to him were probably some were confused because they heard some of these truths of, of Israel from Old Testament law and prophecy and statements. So that was one. They were kind of confused. The other side of the group were probably just like amazed because they saw Jesus do a ton of things that were only God-sized miracles. And you had the other group that were probably really ticked off. Like who, who, who has the audacity? Could you imagine if I came up and I'm like, hey, everyone, I am, I am the pastor. I am the son. I am the fisherman. I am the hunter. You'd be like, this guy, wow, he's got some nerve. He's got some nerve. Jesus had some statements that hold true. And the fascinating thing is this, that in these number of statements that he said, just the two words, I am, you can add the at the end. These, these things talk about his essence, his presence, his character, his attributes, who he is. And I love that we are able to open up God's word today and look at some of these I am statements. If you're with me, please join me in the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. In chapter 6, I'm warning you, this is the disclaimer today. We're going to be jumping around in a few of the different passages. And the reason is because Jesus didn't just machine gun out all of his I am statements at one time. He sprinkled them out through different miracles and movements that he did and said on repeat. And so it would be easier if I just had like one, like we're in John chapter six and like all the I am statements are in there. But I think it's special and significant because they're not all in one spot. They're kind of, they're spread throughout the book of John. He said, I am seven times, seven times. And he said, I am the specifically seven times. And so we're going to take a look at what Jesus did and said on repeat around the statement, I am this morning on this homiletic. Okay, John chapter 6, verse 35. Check out John chapter 6, verse 35. John 6, 35. This is what it says in God's word. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Just look at that. Let that sink in for a moment. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What was the subject of the questions the crowd had asked preceding this verse? When they followed him across to the other side of Lake Capernaum. You can see it in verses 25 through 34 of this I am statement. This is the passage where we're talking about loaves and food and manna, bread from heaven. If the crowd was really after another meal, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, when he was talking about physical food, I don't believe so. I believe they were in a place where Jesus knew he had a moment to be able to speak in to a real place of what people were really seeing. Take a look at this in John chapter 6. It's very, very clear. It identifies himself that he is the bread from heaven that the people of Israel could see 
as the ultimate sustainer of their lives. How do you think that set in with the people in John chapter 6? Confusion maybe? What do you think people were thinking? What do you think people were thinking? Confusion, frustration, question, anger. You guys see in John chapter 6, right? I mean, look at all the things that take place. It talks about Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus walks on water. Jesus, the bread of life. We see in this that he is very, very clearly saying to the people that he is the bread of life. Here's the first principle that I would like for us to just write down. These are my notes. This is grammatically incorrect. So any of you teachers in the room, you're like, this is wrong. Wrong. But I want to just say this, okay? just want to say this. I wrote down the word always twice. So I wrote this down. Again, grammatically, it's not correct. So you write it down the way you want to. This is a principle that is just, it's just for you to write down how you believe. But I want to say it. Always, always. Who Jesus is and what he promises is better than all that we can conceive or imagine. Jesus is the bread of life, abundant life. I want to read it one more time. Principle, always, always. I wrote that down just because my mind wants me to think sometimes, sometimes, always, especially when I'm going through difficulties, when I'm going through heartache, when there's people that I know that I'm praying for and they still, they're just, they're dying. I, I pray for the people that are going through difficulties. And I'm like, all right, bread of life, abundant life. Interesting. And so I just see this. I wrote it down, always, always, who Jesus is and what he promises is better than all that we can conceive or imagine. Jesus is the bread of life, abundant life. Jesus in this, in this verse, he is not talking about literal food and drink but about what satisfies a hunger and thirst even more personal than that. It's for spiritual filling and for what makes life meaningful and purposeful and truly wonderful. He is saying, I am the bread of life, the bread of life. And when I think about this, I'm amazed. I'm amazed because I have met people in my life. I've met people in my family who are going through so much difficulty so much tragic situations. Do you have people like that in your life that go through difficulty? However, if you ask them, they say that I have abundant life. They have abundant life. Yeah. Can you turn? Yes. I probably just have to hold it closer to my mouth. I'm also going to close this door. It was interesting. As people were walking in today, they said, we want the bubble party here. We should have done like a bubble, a bubble, bubble baptism. I'm not sure if that's the thing. Close that up. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, I'll talk a little bit louder. I want to share a story of my sister. My sister, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it real close to my mouth. So my sister, eight years ago, she's a mom of seven. Um, she's 14 years older than I am, just context. And uh, she found that out that she had a tumor in her spinal cord and spinal column right up here. She loves Jesus. She's one of the most faithful women I have ever met. She had surgery. That surgery turned into a lot more surgeries, which caused her now to have to have a feeding tube in her stomach and in a wheelchair. And she's, and she's a mom of seven. And people look at her and they say, how do you have so much joy? How, how do you, do you have friends like that in your life? It's like they've gone through so much tragedy, so much difficulty. And she says, because 
I, I'm connected to the vine. She says that because I am I, I have I have the bread of life. She says, Travis, I asked her, I'm like, Tiff, my sister's name is Tiffany. I said, Tiff, it's amazing about it's amazing that you spend so much time with God. Like I'm I'm kind of like envious. I mean, you wake up every morning and you're spending over an hour, and she says, Because I need it. I need God's word in my life. If I don't, then I'll grumble, I'll complain. And I was like, you have a lot you can complain and grumble about. Like, we would be fine with that. She goes, no, it's because I'm connected to abundant life. I can see God's promise. Do you have, you have people like that in your life? That's a testimony that we, sometimes we have to hold on to because sometimes we grumble and complain about things that really don't, they really don't matter. And Jesus is saying to us this morning that he is the bread of life, not a bread. Some religions will say that he is a bread. But we believe he is the bread of life, that he's not the one that's going to fill our bellies. But he's the one that's going to fill our souls, our hearts. And we can hold on to truth today. I'm going to preach. I got to stop. All right. So that's a key piece of where we can see. Do you have a testimony like that, too, of how you've seen God at work in your life? Hold on to that. Write that down. Say, thank you, God, for fill in the blank. Do you have a friend in your life that is as a person like that? Is that better? All right. Maybe, the, maybe it's not coming through here. All right. Is this too loud? Is this good? Okay. I'm always careful that I'm not too loud. Okay. So here we go. Next verse that we're going to look at. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Verses 1 through 5. This is a, past, this is a passage in the book of John where he is declaring... That he is the vine, the true vine, which is fascinating here that there's a lot of connections to Old Testament of what Jesus was declaring that really caused confusion and frustration with the people of Israel when he said it. We don't have a whole lot of time to go into those details because I want us to make sure we pull out the main truth of this, not a side, a, a side important truth, but I want to go to the main truth first. The main truth is this. Let's read it first. I am the true vine, and my father is the what? Gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that I will be even more fruitful. Look at verse 3. You are already clean because of the Word I have spoken to you. Remain, look at verse 4. Remain in me, so I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain on the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, verse 5. I am the vine. You are, he breaks this down. He's like, listen, y'all, I'm speaking, but this is clear. I am, he didn't say y'all. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He made it really plain right there. Made it really, really plain. This is a powerful, powerful illustration. But I want to ask the question. So to best understand what Jesus is saying, are people who call themselves believers the branches of one of two types? Either fruit-bearing or not fruit-bearing. If we are the branches, then who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? 
He is the vine. That means who is God? The gardener. Any gardeners in the room? Any gardeners? Come on, you can be proud of that. Farmers in the room? Come on, you got to be proud of that. Okay, so we recognize this is a very practical, clear path that Jesus is trying to say. He's trying to make it real plain. Remember day one when we talked about the mustard seed? He was making a very clear statement because he knew what must, people knew what mustard trees look like or bushes look like where he was walking. He was able to make clear connections to help make a clear point. I love this passage because it helps me to better understand the love of God, of how much he cares about us. Here's the principle I love for you to write down. Remaining in Jesus requires active participation. Remaining in Jesus requires active participation. Let me explain that. What are some of the fruit-producing vines that you love? My son loves watermelon. I don't have any watermelon fans out there. Okay. Grapes, cantaloupe, honeydew. How does the fruit remain on the vine? Gardeners, I need help. How does the fruit remain on the vine? What? Okay. We recognize that it must remain on the vine. The branch eats and drinks from the vine, holding fast to it, submitting to pruning for growth. Here's the thing. What are the things that might interfere with remaining or hanging on for dear life for a fruit? What, what might come, at the, come in its way? Varmin. That's a good varmin. That's a good word. Varmin. Winds. Different things that might want to eat it. Trampling on by five-year-olds. Interfering outsiders. I believe Jesus is clear here that conditions will change. Seasons come and go. Threats will appear. New hungers or thirsts emerge. Boredom sets in. We must keep our grip on Jesus. We must look for opportunities to strengthen our faith in Jesus. Jesus made it pretty clear in this passage. He said, I am the vine. Y'all are the branches. God's the farmer. I am the true vine. Here's some Old Testament stuff that I wanted to share with you. Again, we don't have time to, to unpack each one of these, but there are a few Old Testament words that Jesus was drawing to. I think this is important. I've heard people preach on this many times. I think connecting Old Testament connection is important because Jesus is trying to pull out some of the Old Testament statements that he knew the people he was talking to knew as well. Some of these references towards Israel as the vine. That's Psalm 80, Jeremiah chapter 2, Ezekiel 15. Well, a lot of Ezekiel, honestly. Hosea chapter 10. Though Israel was the vine God transplanted from Egypt and planted on a hillside, it, beca it became a vine that was cut down, Psalm 80 verse 16. Corrupt, Jeremiah chapter 2, and ultimately destroyed, Isaiah chapter 5. Jesus, however, is the true vine. He fulfills Israel's promise to obey the commands of God and bear fruits on her behalf. Whoever is connected to him will have life and bear much fruit. John chapter, we just read it, John chapter 15, verse 5. So a lot of thoughts that I want to share here, but I would just say this, that as believers, not only should we be thanking God, thanking God that he actually is a great farmer, that he cares about us. He loves us so much. 
He loves us so much. We see this verse. Some of you have it memorized. Maybe some of you have it tattooed. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So not only in this verse should we look at it and celebrate, thank you, Jesus, that you died on a cross, that you care deeply about us, but it's also a reflection for us as believers to say we must remain connected to the vine. I've shared this numerous times. If we are not being discipled by Jesus and his word, we're going to be discipled by culture. We're going to be discipled by media. We're going to be discipled by a whole lot of other things. We are always being discipled by something. It must be connected to the true vine. We know it's the true vine because it's the gardener who put the vine there to begin with. And it's God who helps us navigate through all kinds of stories. I like making it practical. When I think about a vine, and I think about branches, I think about the fruit that would hang on these branches. Think even in ancient Near East time, the grapes that would hang on these branches. And people would recognize, okay, for, for, the, for, the, for the grapes to be healthy, you need a good gardener. For the grapes to be sweet, there needs to be a good watering schedule. People ask me a lot, how do I know if I'm walking with God? I would say, I mean, there's a lot of things. We could open this up, and you could probably list 100 things. But for the context, my question would be, how is, your, how, how is the fruit in your life? If you say the fruit's really sweet, it's great, then keep on the watering schedule. Keep watering. If you say, you know, it's just, it, it has been tricky, it's been hard, I would say then check the watering schedule. How many of you all have sprinklers at your house? Sprinklers, sprinkler systems? That's right, y'all bougie. You have sprinkler systems, that's fine. That's great. I have, I have sprinkler systems. It's interesting. I moved into a house. This house has, it's like, it's, it's a, it doesn't, it's not on a whole lot of land, but it has nine sprinkler systems. Nine, nine sprinkler, um, like, uh, what do you call it? Like, not sprinkler heads. Zones. Thank you, zones. You can see how good I am at gardening. has nine zones. I want to know who puts in nine zones in a small house with not a whole lot of grass. Who does? A person who was actually in golf course management. That's who we bought the house from. Nine zones. I'm like, this. Is, we went from a home that had way more grass with like three zones to now a home with nine zones. But our grass looks pretty green. Our grass looks pretty green. So we have nine zones going. We mow it. I, I mow it. I, I'm, I, I wish. I, confession. I only mow maybe once a week. Maybe. Shh. It's all right. And I try not to mow on Sundays. Can I stop for a second? When I moved to Holland, Michigan... I started cutting grass. I, cut, I started cutting grass on a Sunday. Some of y'all know where I'm going with this. Can I tangent for a minute? This is a tangent. I know. I promise I'll go back. I started cutting grass on Sundays just because the rest of my week has been very full. And so Sundays for me, Sabbath is a Saturday. So for me and my family, Saturday is a day that we Sabbath. We try to spend time together. We do things that are not in the same rhythm as the rest of the week. Sunday is not because I'm at church. I'm teaching. It's busy. So part of the way that I kind of wind down is I cut grass. I didn't learn. I didn't learn well about my community before moving there. I had a lot of people give me dirty looks. You ever get dirty? I would, I would be cutting grass. The window goes down, and they would just stare at me. I'm like, I don't know if they're staring at me. My wife's shaking her head saying, yeah. I don't know if they're staring at me because they're happy that I'm their neighbor, or I'm like, I'm in sin. I don't know. I don't know. 
I, I live in a place, I live in a place in Holland, if you don't know where that is, Holland, Michigan. Come visit me sometime. If you're ever in Holland area, come hang out in Central Wesleyan Church. It's a place that really, really commits to Sabbathing hard on Sabbath of a Sunday. And so for generations, people just see cutting grass or anything like that to be kind of sinful. And so what I've done is I've obviously not cut the grass because I don't want to offend people. But I've also had great conversations with people saying, hey, you know, I saw like you live three doors down and you gave me that look, sir. Like I, I know where you live. Like I see you're unhappy. Can we talk? I'm 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 pers- I want to be friends. And it, and it created great. It created great conversations because they would say, like, yeah, we just don't do that. I'm like, well, why don't you do that? Right. Anyways, back on track. Hello. That was a complete tangent. Complete waste of time. It's OK. Complete waste of time. I'm sorry. Complete waste of time. Complete waste of time. All right. So. My grass is green. It's because the person who put the installed all of the irrigation was someone who understood it. And he set it to a place that is always watering at the right time. The grass isn't brown. It's really lush. It's costing me a lot of money, but it looks great. I would say this. How is your spiritual health based on the fruit that you're producing in your life? There isn't much fruit. Check your watering schedule. Check it. Farmers in the room, if the corn ain't looking good, check the watering schedule. Pray that God gives you more water. And if you are a bougie farmer, you bring out all the irrigation systems you possibly can have. Farmers are laughing. Can I, can I sense y'all are farmers? You bring the irrigation systems out. You pray for water, but you hope that you'll get some water. Remaining in Jesus requires active participation. That's why I said that. We must make sure we are actively participating in the will and purpose and plan of God. Because when we do that, we can walk with the Spirit. When we don't, we quench the Spirit. We've been learning about the Holy Spirit all week long in our different sessions. So it's very important. It's important that there's Old Testament connection here because the people, I believe, were probably a little bit offended. They're like, you're saying that you are the vine? No, that's Israel. But then he goes back and he says, yeah, yeah. I don't think he, he, this is not documented, but I can see him saying, well, yeah, but look what happened there. Israel chose all kinds of things. That's why God sent the son to come and die for the sins of all. He didn't say this, but I can see him saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the one that's going to go to the cross so that I can once and for all be the atonement for sin so that all people can have an ability to be connected to the farmer, the gardener. I'm going to stop there. Let's keep moving. All right. We only have two. We've got a lot more to go. Next one. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We're going back. So flip a couple pages back. If you have your Bibles this morning, flip a couple verses back. John chapter 10, verse 11. John 10, 11. John 10, 11. The good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Check this out. Verse, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his sheep for, he lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid down his life for sheep. Here's the principle. Jesus is your good shepherd. Jesus is your good shepherd. My wife and I, before my daughter was born, took a really cool trip to the UK. One of the things on my UK trip I wanted to meet a true, actual sheep farmer. 
I wanted to meet someone. Again, living now in Michigan, there is a bunch of sheep farmers. Living in Tampa, metropolitan, mega metro city, not so many sheep farmers. And so I wanted to meet a sheep farmer. I met one in Wales. And I talked to this guy, and I said, tell me the most interesting fact about sheep. And he said, well, let me tell you, sheep, man, they are. And he had this really cool accent. Our lead pastor at Central, he's Welsh. And so I, I talk about this. And he's like, did you know there's more sheep than people in Wales? I'm like, that's fascinating. Wow. And so I met a sheep farmer, and he said, most fascinating thing about sheep is that they are not smart. And I said, I, can, I, I know this. Tell, tell me more. And he said, on this property that I take care of my sheep, there's two streams. This is going to preach. There's two streams. There's one stream that's super clean water, healthy water. The other one is like this nasty pond that's green. The sheep are so stupid that they will literally go to the toxicity day after day and drink from it. And they will literally fall over because it's sickness. It's bad. I have to go as the farmer, as, as, the, as, the, as the shepherd, and, and pull the sheep away from toxic water when they have literally clean water right over there. It's like literally right there. There's even more to drink there than here. But the sheep go to toxic stuff, and they'll even see their the other sheep get sick when there's clean water right there. He's like, sheep, wow. That has stuck with me for now over seven years, that I'm a sheep. I, I am a sheep. Like, I, I know that. I know that God's given me the, the, the gift of being able to be a shepherd, but I'm not the shepherd. For some of you in the room, God's given you the gift of being maybe a shepherd as well. He's giving you the ability to maybe even be a gatekeeper for the sheep, being one to watch over and encourage if you are a deacon or an elder, right? And so this principle that Jesus is saying, because people recognize that he's using the word sheep, and he's using the statement, I am the good shepherd. Like, I am, I am the good shepherd. He's helping people to recognize that we are all in need of the shepherd in our life. We're all in need of someone that can encourage us and help us and give us that. Jesus, our good shepherd, laid down his earthly life for us. It's amazing. All right, next one. I can speak 10 more minutes on that, but I'm going to pause. Next one, John 14, 6. Are you all still with me? Are we still good? Okay, John 14, verse 6. John 14, verse 6. We're just going to kind of flip now a couple more verses over. Again, I love that each one of these I am statements aren't just in one big bulk where he's like, I am, I am, I am, I am. I. He is in different places, different spaces, performing different miracles, speaking into different aspects, entering in truly, trulys, and woven through all of those are the I am's. The way, the truth, and the life is what we're going to look at in John chapter 14, verse 6. Before we do that, have you heard anybody ever say to you that there's many, many pathways to God? There's many ways to God. You've got to be a good person, maybe different religions. I have, I have people that I know that have the, the coexist sticker. Like, well, there's lots of ways to get to heaven, lots of ways to find, to find, to find a place up there. I met one person. They said, I am, I am in every religion. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, well, I've been baptized. I've been this. I've been that. I've been this. I've been that. Just to make sure that whatever one's legit is the one that at least I know, at least I know I'll be in heaven or wherever heaven might be. Okay. We as believers in the room know this morning, but we must hold to this truth this morning. 
Look at verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I had a, a long conversation with, with a cult a couple years ago. And the conversation was, why does your Bible look different than my Bible when we read this one verse? Your Bible says that Jesus is, is a way, a truth, and a life. You believe in your Bible that Jesus is just some really good prophet. My Bible is clear because it's absolute truth that Jesus was more than a prophet. He was the Savior of the world. And he came down from heaven because God, his Father, sent him. He is the only way to heaven. There is no other way. We say that. How many of you all know that truth? Most of us would raise our hand and be like, yeah, we know that truth, Pastor. We must believe that truth. We must let that truth marinate in our lives. We must remember that it's not by the amount of things we do for God that gives him more pleasure in us. It's the fact that we love him, we follow him, we serve him. He is our good shepherd. He is our amazing savior. I absolutely love that truth. He is the truth. Here's a principle that I, that I want to write, that I, I do want us to write down. There's a couple in this, in this John 14, 6. The word the, or the, leaves no room for alternate paths to eternal life with God. I just want to say it's the truth. The word the leaves no room for alternate paths. Let me take it in short, shorthand, different paths to eternal life with God. Any other way to God, heaven, eternal bliss, etc., is, 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 is not true. There's no alternative path to God. Truth, we see here, the truth, we saw in the first lesson we had was truly, truly. He said amen and amen. This is a fact that, that the truth is Jesus personified. Here's the next principle that I would love for you to write down. And I want to talk about this for a moment, just for a couple, a couple points. The principle I want you to write down is to refuse to see Jesus as truth inevitably leads to wrong thinking and deep regret. Wrong thinking, deep regret. If we do not see Jesus as the truth. I know some of these points are like, Trav, time out, man. I've seen these truths. I've heard these truths. Why is this truth helpful? Because it's helpful for your Monday. It's helpful for your Tuesday. It's helpful for the days of the week that we're trying to navigate through. We're not worshiping all together. We're not in a Bible study at 9 a.m. It's a truth that we must remember and hold on to. I, I say this point because my mind goes directly to Pilate. Think about Pilate. When he, when he was faced with making a decision about Jesus, based on his words, his infamous statement, what is truth? It's in John chapter 18. He disassociated himself from Jesus as truth. I think about that. And I think about times in my life that maybe I've done the same. I sit next to people on the airplane. So what do you do for a living? Um, well, I, uh, I speak. Disassociate myself. I mean, it's true. 
Because I don't want to have a long conversation. That's terrible, but I'm being, I'm being truthful. Where were you on Sunday? Oh, we were out by the, we're hanging out with the family. Oh, sometimes we do that. Am I the only one? Am I the only one? We kind of just push. No, we're all in that boat at times. We need to be people who recognize the gift of abundant life and that maybe God is putting people in your life into your spaces, next to the gas pumps, next to the place at Meyer, the grocery stores, your classes, your communities, because they are actually desperately in need of hearing that Jesus is the truth and the life. So powerful that I believe we as people need to hold on to. Jesus is the life. Principle is this. Life is found in Jesus. There is no real life apart from him. There is no life without him. I have a friend who's an atheist. I haven't talked to him in some time. We've had great conversations. He became an atheist because he did two tours to Afghanistan. And he came back to his church, and his church actually told him that he was going to hell for the things that he did. That's tragic. Tragic. He actually walked out of the church and never walked in again. Had great conversations with Wayne. He actually came to, uh, when we got married, he, he actually came to our wedding. Wife was shaking her head. This guy was the first time in church after a long time, serving for our country. And someone basically, a few people told him that he was going to hell for, for the things that he did in Afghanistan to Afghanis. Tragic. He, he basically said, I'm done with this whole thing. I'm done. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. We had a great conversation. And uh, he said, Travis, I want to say this about you. I said, okay. He said, I still don't believe there's God because of the things that I saw in Afghanistan and the way that Christians have treated me. He goes, but there's something different about you. And this is what I want to say, Travis. That let's just say you're right and I'm wrong, Travis. I see that you're going to be living a life that has way more enjoyment, way more meaning because you're not living for yourself. You're living for some higher being that you call God. And you're living to serve others. There's something different about that. I'm living for myself. And that's what I'm going to do. But let's just say you're right. Your life is going to have a whole lot more meaning and purpose. I said, Wayne, you're right. I wish more Christians saw it that way. We have light and life in us. We didn't get this from a self-help book. We didn't get this from a shrink. We didn't get this from some, from some audible book. We got this through the Holy Spirit with a personal relationship. Our lives must bear fruit because people in our lives are desperate desperate to see God at work in us. Do you guys believe that this morning? Is that true? Is that a true statement? That's why I want to say this, that life is found in Jesus. There is no real life apart from him. There is no life without him. We have life, y'all. We got life. We have meaning. We have purpose. We have hope. And that's what we got to celebrate. Sometimes I've got to check myself in the mirror. I'm like, why do I look grumpy and frustrated today? There's no reason. I've got life. You have life. You have life. If you have a heartbeat, you're not dead. It means God's not done. We have life. We get to celebrate that. All right, I'm going to stop. I've got a lot more things to go through. We don't have a lot more time. Okay. Check out this next verse. The light, the light of the world. This is John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. Can I, just, I actually want to go back for a second. On my, on my notes here, I've got another, another thought. Just 
if I was going to share it, but I, but I want to share it. Just based on, on he is the way, the truth, the life. That Jesus, and, I, and we already know this, but I just want to just put this, just put this to our mind for a moment. That Jesus is the only sinless, sinless human ever to walk the earth. Only Jesus was able to keep all of the decrees, commandments, and laws of God, and thus walk in a way and truth of God that leads to life. He referenced Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 17. Deuteronomy 26, 16 through 18. Look at it later. He's referencing an Old Testament truth of the prophecy of what was to the fact that he is and will ever be always a savior. Not just a savior, the savior, the savior for us. It's okay. Back on track. Just a little burp, 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 side note. That was for free. Okay. So verse chapter eight, chapter eight, verse 12. Chapter 8, verse 12. Here's another strong I am statement. Y'all there? John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the what? The light of the world. That's a bold claim. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. Let me read that one more time. When Jesus spoke again to the people in John chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I love that that Jesus uses this piece of darkness and light. It's something that we can all comprehend. We remember a time in our life when it was dark physically, probably, like all lights were out. If you live out in the country and it's dark, it's real dark. You just see some stars. It's dark, dark. Some of us, we remember the time in our life where things were dark spiritually. Usually when I'm counseling someone that I know is going through hard times, difficulties, I ask the question, when did the light go out in your life? Let me just go out. Usually someone who's gone through difficulties or darkness will take me back to that moment, that dark moment, that sad moment when the light just went out. And then from there we talk about how can we work through different pathways through the Holy Spirit, through God's word and through encouragement and through help to help you find light again. We've been through dark seasons. We've been through dark places. Jesus knows that and he knew that. That's why he said, I am the Light of the world. I think it's fascinating. I just, I, I Googled. Google can get you sometimes in, in not great places. But I Googled, what are some of the things that light does? Like legit light. Sun comes down. Well, it disinfects. It kills viruses. It encourages growth. We got a little light that's by some of the things that are growing in our house. It illuminates. It sets a rhythm for us, the sun. It colorizes. It provides access to otherwise inaccessible places, like in caves and stuff. It warms us, has worldwide reach. I keep going. That's just a few of the things. 
Do you see the parallel between sunlight and God the sun's light? Do you see that parallel? He's saying, I am the light of the world. Let me read it again. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's a principle that I would love for you to write down. Jesus, the light of the world, enriches every aspect of life. What I want to say, I want to pause. When I use the word specifically enriches, enriches does not mean make easier. I, didn't, I, I intentionally didn't say that. I did not say Jesus, the light of the world, makes every aspect of our life easier because that's not true. But I do believe wholeheartedly, based on what we see in God's word and see through testimonies of, of faithful followers of Jesus, that the light of the world enriches every aspect of our life. Where have you seen God's light recently in your life? Where have you seen God at work in your life? Where can you have that testimony of saying, God, I was once in darkness, but now I'm in light. God, I've been through a dark season, but I knew you were with me every step of the way because I was walking with you through the Holy Spirit. For some of us in the room, like my dad I shared a couple days ago, who was in his 50s when he gave his life to Jesus, he remembers what darkness looks like. He remembers it. He feels it. He knows it. Sometimes the darkness kind of pulls him in a little bit because he lived most of his life in darkness. I think physically, if I lived most of my life in darkness, like a couple of nights ago when all the power went out and it was like dark, dark and quiet, that would be tragic, be tragic. For some of you in the room, you, you have only been a believer for a short amount of time in your life. You've only known light for a little bit. It is a choice for us to walk in that light. It's also a choice for us to choose joy. It's also a choice for us to resist the devil and flee. It's also a choice for us to make sure that we're not remaining in darkness. Again, y'all, these are simple principles, simple things that you know. You know. Let's apply them on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Let's hold on to those truths. Let's do that for our family. Let's help our kids. Family camp, kids, this is a great opportunity, a spiritual formation opportunity for you as parents in the room for your children. Uh, parents in the room who you are having adult children and grandchildren. It's a great principle for you to say, hey, what's the light for? Why did God give us light? Why do we have the sun? What can the sun teach us about our relationship with Jesus? What did Jesus say? That he, that he is, he is the light of the world. Grandparents, this is an opportunity. Get out a coloring page and just draw sunshine and say, what's the sunshine for? What's a flashlight for? It is so important for us. Spiritual formation in the home takes place in the quantity of time directing to clear things that our children and we, that's why Jesus said it, know and understand about Simple objects that can produce spiritual encouragement and direction. So parents in the room, grandparents in the room, use opportunities like Jesus did to say, hey, good shepherd. What's a shepherd? Our kids know what that is. Someone who takes care of sheep. Hey, what's a vine? Our kids, let's go outside and look at a vine in our backyard. We can do that. 
Again, family camp. I'm just putting that in. We as parents, we need to be the ones discipling our kids. If we don't, culture will. Jesus is the light of the world. He enriches every aspect of life. There's a lot of things that I don't even want to speak into here. When we look at John chapter 8, verse 58 next. John chapter 8, verse 58. John chapter 8, verse 58. Can I actually, before we go there, I'm sorry, ADD moment. I didn't have enough coffee this morning. I want, I want to go back one more time. I've got in my notes here. I was, I was like, do I have time? We got time, y'all. For a couple minutes late, it's okay. Hopefully it's okay. The light of the world. I just, I just want to just think about this for a moment. Because we just read this, right? We talked about light and life. I am the light of the world. Jesus is referencing the people of ancient Israel and the pillar of fire that they followed through the wilderness in Exodus chapter 13. It is fitting that Jesus makes this statement in the temple courts during the festival of the tabernacle. We're in a tabernacle. What's up? Which commemorates Israel's sojourn to the, in the desert with a display of a bright light. Jesus is a better and eternal light. Whoever follows him will never walk in darkness, will have the light of life. Just because I said it, I want to just speak it. That Jesus was using this as a clear example to help people recognize what he was saying based on where he was standing, where he was ministering, and what he was trying to communicate. And he was pulling back Old Testament statements, Old Testament pathways, Old Testament facts and truths of what happened so that people could be able to recognize that he is the light and the life. Yes, sir. That's right. The great I am, and that's the passage. So I would encourage you all again, each one of these statements, Jesus is not making them um, reluctantly or flippantly. He's making them in a way that, correct, that connects Old Testament to the current so that he sees the parallels for the people to recognize that he has come to fulfill the law, to fulfill the law. Okay, let's keep going. I am, John chapter 8. Verse 58. 858. This is what it says. I very truly, heard truly before. Hey, truly, truly. This is it. Let's go back to There's another truly say. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. This is an I am statement that I think would have been like, have you heard the statement, the nail on the coffin? The, st- the nail on the coffin, like, this is the fun. I feel like that sometimes with my daughter. It's like she's done a bunch of things that I'm like, ah, they kind of get under my skin. And it's like the nail on the coffin, like, okay, time out. You're making, you're, you're saying this right now? Was it, is it a huge deal? No, but you have a lot of other I am statements, Jesus. But now, now you're claiming to just, you're, nah, you are messing all this up. Why did Jesus say that? I want to open this up for discussion. Why did Jesus, why did Jesus have the audacity in John chapter 8, verse 58, to say this? 
Very truly, I tell you, truly, truly, this is a fact. You can take it to the bank. Amen and amen. This is it. Before Abraham was born, I am. Why did he make that statement? Just, I, I would love to open it up. Some of y'all have read this a hundred times more than I have. Why did Jesus make this statement? And I'm going to bring the microphone around just because it's a little difficult to hear. I'm going to start here, and I'd love for us to speak into this. Before all the prophets, Jesus was part of God. He has always been where the prophets came later. That's right, and a lot of the prophets spoke about that as well. Saw your hand, I'm coming. I'm coming back, man. You raised your hand. Either you're swatting a fly or you're raising your hand. I'm going to say raise the hand. No, he's, he's the great I am. He was before the law. He was before Abraham. He is life itself. He is life itself. He's making this powerful claim because he wanted the people to know. Yeah, they believed that because they were a child of Abraham, they were saved. And Jesus said, no, it's because of me. That's a fact. They believed because they were from the good, the good family line. And they did all the good things that they were told to do. That they would actually inherit the kingdom of God. When Moses was called to go back to the people, he said, who should I tell him sent me? And that's when God said, I am. He is the Do you think God made a mistake by saying that? No. That is powerful. God does not make mistakes. That's why it's kind of like a, it's like a joking question, right? I feel like Jesus did that sometimes too, you know? Who touched me? Jesus, we know. <laughs> you know because you're God. He's making a clear, bold statement of saying that I am not a way. I am the way. That you will not separate me. I am not a savior. I am the savior. I am. I am. Fascinating. I'm going to put this here because if not, I'll teach from both mics. That would be weird. And so I, I, do, I do see that there is some clear, clear statements. But here, here's what I also think is, is just fascinating. That... I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not a, uh, an English teacher. I don't have an English major. But it's, it's curious the sense of verb tense that he uses. We'd expect it to be something like I was. Right? But what does he say? What does he say? Come on, tell me. I am. The Greek language is very specific, and this is the correct rendering as Jesus spoke. Jesus has always been present tense alive. An English teacher, again, would probably correct this and want to correct Jesus, the age and time references. But Jesus is not limited by time. He is self-existent. And I think that's a powerful truth we hold on to today. Why is that a powerful truth? It's because I have friends that are Buddhists. I have friends that are, are Islamic. You can go and visit a lot of their prophets. You can go see where people have been, have been born that claim to be a god or the way. You can go back and study a lot of these ancient Near East, Eastern, American cults in different places that people have spent most of their time believing to be truth. But we as believers, we know the truth. And the truth is what, is what, sets, us, is what sets us free. Jesus wants to set us free. Because he's not limited by time. 
I absolutely love that, that he is making a clear statement to say that he is who he says that he is. The great I am, Jesus, rings through the ages on repeat as truth personified. That was day one. The one who enters into the world, enters into our home. The one who has come. The healer of individuals and of families. The great I am. I just wrote these things down just as, 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 a, as, as a thought based on this fact of the verb that Jesus used in John chapter 8, verse 58. Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. The great I am is, you don't have to write this down, just think about this for a moment. He's self-existent, not bound by time, never lacking, always faithful. Gives me chills thinking about this. Before all things and above all things, able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. He's the bread of life. He is the true vine. He is the good shepherd. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the light of the world. We get to hold on to these truths because he is a personal savior. He had a specific plan that wasn't just mapped out a little bit. It was mapped out a lot of it. It was mapped out from the beginning that there would be a day when a Savior would come, the Savior, the Savior of the world. And we, as believers, we can hold on to that truth today. We can hold on to truth today. Can we look at just one more verse? Can we look at one more verse? It's actually in John chapter 21, verse 25. I'm going to flip there with you because I think this is really, really, really important. It's kind of cool. I don't know if this is, is cool for all y'all, but for me, I was like, this is kind of cool. John 21 Verse 25, this is John chapter 21. This is where Jesus and the miraculous catching of fish happens. This is where we see it's the final, the final part of the book of John, right? This is what it says in John chapter 21, verse 25. In my Bible, this is the last verse in the book of John. Y'all's too? Last verse. Look what it says. That was funny, not too funny. Okay, Jesus did many other things as well. If, I, if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. That brings tears to my eyes. It gives me goosebumps. It makes my heart rate a little bit. If I was wearing an Apple Watch, it would tell me I've got to breathe. Let me read this again. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them was written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. I read that last verse because maybe for some of you it's been a while since you've read the last verse of the book of John. But it is a verse to encourage us, to inspire us that Jesus is the Savior. That Jesus, he came he lived, he died, he rose again. And in between his years of ministering, his three years of actively healing and teaching and calling and equipping and discipling and moving and doing all the other things on repeat, through all those things that were documented in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
and some of the other New Testament books, we can know that's just scratching the surface of the things that Jesus did on repeat. How does that give us hope today as believers? I just want to say that. I want, I want, this is an open question. It's a simple one, not a trick. Why does it give us hope as believers to know what Jesus did and said on repeat was true? How does that give us hope as believers? How does that give us hope? Yes, come on back. I know we're almost out of time, but I believe this is really important as we finish up our time. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep all that I've committed unto him against that day. Come on. It gives us hope because we know who and what our hope is in. And we can hold on to that hope today. On a Friday, the last day of our camp experience, we're able to hold on to that truth, knowing that this truth doesn't have to end today. It can go on, on repeat in our lives. My last question that I want to just share as we finish up our time is this. What is the biggest truth from the I am statements that we read today that we need to receive today? What would anybody be willing to share? What is an I am statement that we read today that you would want to hold on to as a truth today? Like, I need to believe this truth today, that he is my good shepherd, that he is bread of life, that he is the light of the world, that he is the true vine, that he is and always will be. Anybody here just want to just share? Based on what we read today, what is a truth that you're going to hold on to today and in this next season? He is the I am. Would you guys affirm that? Yes. He is. He's always there for us. Yep. Chap Here, I'm going to give you the microphone. Here we go. Put those glasses on, man. So back there in, in chapter verse 58, very sure I tell you, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. Okay. And then they wanted to stone him. Then he walked right through there. To me, he was in a culture where the Holy Spirit, we got the Holy Spirit, and they didn't know anything about that. Jesus did, but the crowd didn't. And to anyway, that whole verse tells me is that we as Christians, we not have to be afraid to tell somebody else about the Lord and don't worry about being stoned because he'll protect us. That's right. Man, I, I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate you saying that. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, you want, the la you want the last one, don't you? You want the last one. All right. Travis, you said seven. You gave us six. All right. I, I knew someone was going to ask. And the principle for six. All right. Got to put this microphone. I was I literally, I don't know why I have two microphones. It gets confusing. We have a couple minutes. All right, principle for six. What do you think the principle for six is? Jesus is the Lord of all and, and will be all. Principle for number six. Jesus. Let's make it even this. Jesus is the great I am through all the ages. 
and always will be. Make that the hashtag at the end. All right. John chapter 11, verse 25. John eleven twenty five. Can someone read John chapter 11, verse 25? Who can read John eleven twenty five? We have a few minutes left. John eleven twenty five. Who can read that for us? Here, here, here. Pass it. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. So John eleven twenty five. Jesus' words follow Martha's reference to the final resurrection of the body that Daniel prophesied in Daniel chapter 12. Jesus explains that the resurrection in life is found in more than just an event. It is found in the person, more specifically in him. I am the resurrection of life. John eleven twenty five. 25. Here's the principle. Jesus is life. Jesus is life. Today, I want to close our time. So we're over. I apologize for being a couple minutes over. I want to close our time. And I want you just to have a moment, a moment with your Savior. I want you to think about the, the seven I am statements that we just talked through today and worked through today. Seven of them. Which one are you going to praise Jesus for today? Just take a few moments. You might be saying, well, I'm going to praise him for all seven. Do it. Do it. Take a moment. Thank you, Jesus, for being. Thank you, Jesus for being the bread of life. Thank you, Jesus, for being the light of the world. Thank you, Jesus, for being the gate for the sheep, the good shepherd. Thank you, Jesus, for being the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, Jesus, for being the true vine. Thank you, Jesus, for being the resurrection and the life. Thank you, Jesus, for being with us. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us what matters most by the way that you lived the things that you did in a 24-hour day. Lord, that we as believers can look at the Bible and be able to hold on to the truths so that we can apply these simple, basic, yet profound principles to our lives. Thank you, Jesus, just for these past five days that we've been able to be together and spend time in your word. God, I pray for every person in this room that, Jesus, we will walk with you we will spend time talking with you. We will spend time studying what you said and did, not just so that we can become smarter human beings, God, but we can be people of peace, people of hope, people of life to a culture that is crumbling, to a community that's falling, to families that are breaking, to places that are going through difficulties so that we can be those people of peace. 
God, I thank you for the people in this room that have been going to this camp for over 70 plus years. I thank you for the people in this room that have been going to camp for just their very first time and everyone else in between. God, that we're able to come to a place that is safe, a place that is biblically secure, a place that we can open up our Bibles freely, that we can have conversations with other people to encourage us and inspire us. I thank you for this place has meant since 1911 and even before that. A place of hope, a place of freedom, a place of rest, a place of encouragement. God, I pray that we will be those people, that we will be those people, just like this camp is for us, that we will be people of hope, people of freedom, people that show rest in a world that's busy and stressed. God, that we can hold on to the truths we learned over the past five days to you because we know that you are the Savior and that you are with us. Thank you, God, for that truth today. And thank you for that truth tomorrow. And thank you for the fact, God, that we can take this word of God home with us and we can apply it to our lives every day. God, I pray we'll be people that will do that. That spiritual formation will take place in our homes on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And that, God, people in this room will be people of light and life for you and for your kingdom on repeat. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you guys so much. It's been a privilege. Hey, we're, we're friends and family, okay? So if you are ever in Holland, Michigan, come on through. Central Wesleyan Church is the church that I spend most of my time. If you want to learn more about